Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis, and Liz Hamilton with you this morning. Taking your calls and questions, the number to call 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Guys, next listener wants to know what your favorite sweet corn variety for eating for a backyard gardener is. Liz, you want to start? Sure, yeah. I have grown quite a bit of that in the past and there are some really fun ones out there um and i really a standard that i think everybody talks about is peaches and cream and that's a bicolor corn so it's got the white uh really high uh, bricks sugar content kernels and then also yellow so you get a really nice balanced flavor then another one that i have grown that i think is super fun and i think it's called i'm looking it up i think it's called ruby queen and it's from Burpee. Let me see if that's right. Ru- yes, Ruby Queen Sweet Corn. And so if you've never seen this before, it's really cool. And they it's a sweet corn that is red. So it's red like a dent corn or like a um, uh, Native American corn. But it's uh, bright, sweet kernels mm. and super high bricks content. And it doesn't fully cook the color out when you cook it either. So you can serve this red bright red sweet corn to your guests if you want oh, and it's it's super fun and and it tastes excellent it has no strange taste to it at all and it, it has performed beautifully for me in the past ton your favorite well i think the ones liz, liz mentioned are great varieties one other one i'll put in there would be peaches and cream okay and let's go back to our phone lines now. Heath is in West Jordan. Good morning, Heath. What is your question? Good morning. I have I have four Japanese spindle bushes, kind of against the south side of my excuse me, against the south side of my house. But previous owner let them get a little bit too big, so I'd really love to cut them down to almost ground level. But I, I was wondering uh, if you could tell me how aggressive I can get with those before I start doing any permanent damage. I've not heard of Findle Bush. Um, what do you know? What the Latin name is on them? I think it's Unimus japonicus. Oh, Uanimus. Okay. Uanimus. Okay, so they're yeah. Japanese Uanimus. So the deer have eaten them down. Yeah. Okay. They should regenerate, but if the deer keep eating them back severely, they may die over time. So you're going to need to probably exclude the deer from them as a food source 
I, I don't have deer. I just they're they're big, and I want to I want to oh. uh, trim them down as, as okay. much as I can without hurting I'm them. Sorry, yeah. I completely missed that one. No, you're okay. I think I was like playing Pac Man or something while I was trying to do the show. <laughs> um, apologies, I completely missed that. So you want to cut them back? Yeah, yeah, they're up against the house. They don't, you know, they're obviously you know getting spiders and stuff in the home. I think because they're they're so close. So I'd really like to kind of start over if I can, you know, kind of cut them as close to the ground as I can. But I don't, I don't know how far, I don't know how far I can go with them without, you know, killing them off. You know, if you went in there and just brutalized them and just cut them back to six inch to foot long nubs, they would eventually recover. Okay. And it would take two or three years, but you could do that. And then after a period of time, you could start with what's called renewal pruning to keep the size down a bit on them. You could easily keep them, you know, they're going to want to get 10 to 12 feet and you could easily keep them five or six feet tall. Then you'd use that renewal pruning and then just do some light trimming after. Okay, great. I appreciate your help. Thanks, Heath, for your call this morning. I'm blaming the cough syrup that you're taking, Ton. That's all. Oh, man. Man, I, <laughs> I just made that call up all by myself. I just put my own information in it. So. Okay, next listener wants to know, uh, Liz, I'm going to let you handle this. When is the best time to plant raspberries? Well, um, when you can find them. Right? Yeah, when you can find them. So usually, so fall is a really great time to plant raspberries, but fall is also not the best time to find raspberries on the shelf. Um, usually they're tucked back in the way of a garden center somewhere if you can even get your hands on them. Um, and so in the spring is when, when everybody's getting their new fresh material in, and that's when you're going to find raspberries on the shelf. And the spring is also a great time to plant. Um, you just... If you plant in the fall, the benefits of planting in the fall versus the spring for any of those bramble bushes is going to be if you start in the fall, it has all of the cold period to kind of expand its roots and get going. Uh, and you'll have a bigger, maybe even a mild harvest in that very first year. Um, and you'll have a bigger plant going right into the spring. But in the spring, uh, when you're planting, you know, especially if you can get them in kind of early before they even break dormancy. So you're planting dormant plants. Uh, you're going to see you're going to get a little bit of that root push and you'll have happier plants. I think the one time you want to try to avoid raspberry planting or any uh, edible shrub planting is going to be high summer. It's just difficult to keep their roots uh, wet and the plants happy when it's really high heat. Uh, next listener, Tom, this is Gina in Suncrest. Uh, she has several Arctic willows, but did not wrap or prune them in the fall, and they are covered and crushed by the extreme snow. And she's wondering, should she just totally cut them back when the snow melts, or how best should she take care of these bushes? That's a tough one. And Liz, you can chime in if you've seen anything different. But when I've seen people prune Arctic willows very hard, they oftentimes don't seem to grow back very well. You know, I've, there was a golf course that is no longer there in West Layton that had Arctic willows all over the place, and they would shear them. And when they were sheared into what's called blind wood, where there's no more buds, they just wouldn't recover. So, I mean, if the option is to tear them out, I would cut them back to six or eight inches and see if the roots will actually send up new suckers or the branches do. But I know that just shearing them is actually not good for them. That's been my experience too. I think there's 
one one of the McDonald's by my house has used the Arctic willows as a hedge, and they come. The maintenance crew comes by and shears them all back, and then they really don't look very good. Um, it's been a couple years now, and there's just big chunks that have died out, and I'm sure it's from pruning where there's no growth points. All right, let's go back to our phone lines. Linda is in Provo. Good morning, Linda. What is your question? I can say we live in the canyon, Provo Canyon, and the deer have eaten the bark off my uh, mountain ash. Uh, We still have three feet of snow up here, and I'm wondering what I do to the tree, um, when I can get to it, or is it just going to die? (laughs) It's... The trunk is probably five inches across uh, in diameter. Okay. Did the deer eat all the way around? Well, I can't get to it. It's out in the field. And so I don't, I'm going to say yes, but I have no idea. (laughs) Well, if it's eaten all the way around, then you, uh, we're probably going to lose it because in essence, it severed all of the conductive tissue, what would be blood vessels in us and the top will dry out. Now it may be able to send new branches from underneath, but if you have up to about 50% of the bark intact and the tree were somehow protected, it may recover. And so it's just going to depend on the extent of the, uh, the actual amount of bark that was eaten. Okay. And I'm going to say, if it's just partially eaten, then what should I do? Just cut off the bark that is just kind of jagged so that it is okay. has just, and leave all the bark on there that is in good contact and just hope for the best. You know, it's going to be more susceptible to diseases and pests. And so you're really going to make sure that you're deep watering the tree. If it's in, if it's next to a ditch that has irrigation water, you don't need to, but it needs to be deep watered about every seven to 10 days to a depth of 18 inches. Okay. Okay. We'll see if we can get to it and then see if we can save it. Appreciate your information. Thank you. Thanks so much for your call. Another animal question. Uh, Next listener wants to know, will auto lichen laurels grow leaves back as well as use after the deer have stripped the leaves off? Liz, do you want to take this one? Yeah. So what was the use and what was Auto lichen laurels? Auto lucan laurels? Yeah. So, um, it depends on how much they've eaten. So if they're just stripping the greenery off and the branching isn't super damaged, um, they can come back pretty pretty well. The you less so than the laurels. The laurels can come back a little bit easier than because they're um, they just have that the bigger growth points and they're not a needle tree like that um, or a needle shrub like that. But uh, if they've really gotten down into the shrub and eaten all your growth points and all those little tiny bits all around it, it, they may come back patchy or not very full and it might take a while to recover if they completely recover. So deer are really 
knocking out plants this year. There's they been are. so much snow. They're that hungry. They're, yeah, they're coming you know? down out of the mountains and just eating things that they've never eaten before. And I'm surprised to hear that they're eating ewes and laurel, really. Right. Well, um, we, if the deer have eaten the ewes, it will kill them. Yeah, and sometimes. So, yeah, it can. I know that the DWR has had two or three incidences where they have found herds of 10 to 20 animals, maybe more, um, dead. And then they've done some, I don't know, autopsy or post-death work and found ewes in their digestive systems. And so if they're eating ewes, they're starving. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking too. I don't know. There was a couple stories out of California a few years ago where they found um, some bears that had passed away after getting into people's yards and stripping berries off the yew branches because they were they were so hungry. Yews uh, are super poisonous. So, all right, we need to take a break. Number to call with your questions: eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. Phone lines are open, and you can text us at five seven five zero zero. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria, Ton, and Liz with you this morning. Taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Next listener, guys, wants us to list some annuals that are good for honeybees and other pollinators. There's so many options. Ton and I could probably tag team this one. Just yeah, okay. I, I'm sure. You I, go can't, ahead and I can't take, list them all. Take off with this one. You're going to let me do it? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So if we're talking annuals, I think my number one most favorite where you just see bees, whether they're native or honeybees, losing their mind is salvias. They just like absolutely love salvia. And there is one in particular that I really love to grow. And I'm going to say the species like salvia garantica, I think is how the Latin name is pronounced. And that covers a series of really like long necked salvias and the... The native bees and the pollinators just absolutely adore it. Um, and I, I, that is what I plant also to draw in. As a side note, even though nobody asks this, hummingbirds as well. And so when you're thinking about planting for pollinators, they have a, uh, a time where the – and I can't think of the scientific name right now. But there's a, a period of time where after an insect or um, – bird has come and sucked the nectar out of the flower that they refill with nectar. And so you're looking for plants that have a short refill time when you're looking for things that are uh, bee and other pollinator friendly plants. And salvias just have a super short time span. It's like a matter of hours and not days on and like even some, I think some of them are even up to minutes where they just refill instantly with nectar. And I just, can't say enough about salvia. I think it's really great. There are some other ones. I have petunias. Um, my bees absolutely love petunias. And then uh, one that's really fun is Ami. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Ton. 
but it's uh, in the carrot family, and you plant it, and it has great big, huge, kind of looks like Queen's An- Queen Anne's lace, which is in, also in the same family. So Queen Anne's lace or Ami, A-M-M-I, and they're both in the carrot family, and they both have big umbels of flowers. If you've ever let a carrot go to seed, it looks very similar. And they are just loaded with bees and pollinators if you really want to bring um, some bug action into your yard. Ami or Queen Anne's lace is another really great one. Do you have any? So I think for some later summer stuff, I would look at the sweet alyssum. seems to attract a lot of pollinators in, and it's easy to grow. You can just grow it from seed, and if you just put seed out there in late April to mid-May, It'll be blooming by July. Then Rocky Mountain bee plant is one you might have to grow from seed, but it is like a pollinator magnet. And then Cleome, which Rocky Mountain bee plant is a type of Cleome, but the ornamental Cleome is just late summer, tons of pollinators. And then another one, probably the Tithonias or the Mexican sunflowers are another type of late summer just really good for multiple pollinators. Yep, absolutely. Okay, next listener wanted to know more about that muley grass that Marjorie was talking about, the ruby grass. Uh, They wanted to know if it was deer resistant. Liz, do you want to take this one? Yeah, we just checked it out. It is, it says it is, but I think something to remember, and most of the grasses are, and that's just because they, um, a lot of them are really sharp on the edges. They have that really sharp, sharp serration. I guess it's hard to say. It's Saturday morning. <laughs> and uh, um, it, that makes it difficult for the deer to eat. So they don't like it during the summertime. Um, but something to think about. And in the winter, they're obviously not growing. So then it's not a problem in the winter. They're not. Well, and deer t- tend toward more trees, shrubs, perennials, like forbs. And they don't, the grass itself isn't something that they, they may browse it, but it's not a primary food source for them. Usually other grazing animals it is. And so they seem to stay away from grasses a little bit more than other plants. Yeah. Forager, they're a forager, not a grazer. So they're looking up to eat their food or at eye level and not down. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to be talking about dividing perennials in the spring. I know a lot of us need to do that. Number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us, 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.